Hey everybody, it's Brad here. Before we get started with the show today, I wanted to take a minute and let you guys know about our coaching program we run here at Macros Inc. We believe that every person on the planet deserves to live their healthiest and best life. A qualified nutrition coach and personal trainer can be the key to living that life. At Macros Inc., we provide fully customized one-on-one nutrition coaching and online personal training that has changed the lives of 10,000 people and counting. We offer a two-week free trial for our nutrition coaching, and you can get started risk-free today. Just go to macrosinc.net slash services and sign up. Let's get into the show. Welcome back. We are on episode number 30-something. I think it's 37. We'll find out when we go to publish this. Uh, I am Brad Dieter, the Chief Operating Officer here at Macros Inc., and this is my take. Today, we're going to be talking a lot about moving from weight loss to weight maintenance. We're going to talk about the insolvable problem in a business. We're going to talk about theories of communication, the fact that my new desk is here, and we're going to learn about askers versus guessers. All right, jumping straight into the nutrition insights. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about, you know, really the transition from weight loss to weight maintenance and what do you do and a little bit of like, how do you think about that part of the journey? So when we work with a lot of our clients, right, obviously our kind of minimum contract length for our clients is three months. We think that's, you know, about the time you need to start seeing some like actual real lasting change. Um, Our clients typically stay with us longer than that, but about three months is, is the initial contract length, right? Like that's what we require people to have. And then by then, most of those people have lost, you know, a good amount of weight and either they're going to continue losing it or they're going to they're gonna move to what we would call maintenance, right? Or this is just, can you maintain the weight that you've lost? And there's, this is one of those areas where I think it becomes a little difficult for people because one, they don't have realistic expectations. And two, it's a much different mindset of maintaining weight loss versus losing weight in the first place. Um, I wrote a 10-part series on this entire topic on our website. So if you go to macrozinc.net um, and you find our blog, which is just macrozinc.net slash blog, there's a 10-part mini-series on there. Um, that, I guess, is not really a mini-series if it's 10, but there's a series on there of 10 articles that kind of walks through it. So I'm going to walk through some of the main ideas of that in today's show. So the first thing to understand is when you go from a calorie deficit to calorie maintenance, there's going to be a few things that happen. Um, One is your calorie intake is going to change substantially, right? Generally speaking, when you're losing weight, you're in a calorie deficit. Most people, to start seeing, you know, results that people are happy with at a decent clip, like a rate or amount per week, is you need to have a deficit of somewhere between 300 and 700 calories a day, right? It could be a little more, it could be a little less, but somewhere in that range, you're going to see in the neighborhood of a half a pound to a pound a week of weight loss. So that means, let's say you were with us 12 weeks, you know, you're losing 12 pounds in the first three months pretty regularly slash robustly. So now you have to move to weight maintenance. So that means you need to go back to not being in a calorie deficit, to kind of being in calorie balance. So that means you're going to add in, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 to 700 calories a day back into your diet. Now that's going to be that the calorie amount you're going to consume is going to be less than what you were eating before you lost weight, right? So let's say 
you started at 150 pounds and you're down to, let's just say, 135, the amount of calories to maintain 135 pounds is going to be different than 150 pounds, right? By a couple hundred calories. But it's going to be a lot more than when you were, you know, dieting or losing weight, so to speak. So there's a question here is, how do you do that, right? Do you, let's just say you're done, it's, it's Sunday and you finished your diet and you're going back to normal on Monday, right? You're going back to maintenance on Monday. And should you do that instantly, right? Like, so Monday morning, should you go back to, hey, on Monday, I'm going to consume my maintenance calories, so I'm going to consume four or 500 calories more every day moving forward um, on Monday? Or am I going to do it slowly? Am I going to add, like, 100 calories this week and 100 calories the next week and 100 calories the next week until you get back to maintenance? The honest answer is you can really do either, Right? Um, there's kind of pros and cons to each. And I'll kind of just give you my thoughts on that. If you go back to maintenance instantly, you're not going to gain any weight. Um, any, let, let me rephrase that. You're not going to gain any body fat. Uh, you'll have more energy quickly, right? So kind of the, the lack of sleep or the poor sleep quality, the low energy that you might have on your diet, that'll go away much quicker. Uh, and you're going to look more full, like your muscles are going to be um, like full of glycogen and water. So you're going to look like you carry more muscle mass much more quickly, and your hormones are going to return to normal faster, right? We know that when you diet, you get a drop in many of your sex hormones, and you get a drop in things like thyroid. So if you return to maintenance faster, those things will go back to normal faster, Now, the downside here is that if you overshoot your calories, so let's say you really need to add 400 calories to go back to maintenance, but you add 600 calories, you might overshoot your maintenance number, and in the first two weeks, you might gain a pound back, right? So let's say you lost 15 pounds, and you gain a pound back, you really lost 14 pounds. So now you're maintaining at 14 instead of 15 pounds. It's really not that much different, right? It's, it's pretty much the same, um, but if there's kind of a mental piece to it, you know, you, you, you might gain a pound when you go back to maintenance instantly. Now, the other thing is you can go back to maintenance instantly by just trying to be a little more conservative. So maybe you start at 300, right? And then you maybe later add another 100 calories in later. Um, the one thing to note, though, and we'll talk about this a little bit on another episode, um, probably tomorrow, because I'll go over maintenance a little bit more, is your body weight's going to go up when you go back to maintenance that quickly, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to do it when you go back slowly, but it'll do it pretty quickly. And that's not body fat, right? So basically what you're doing when you go from a calorie deficit to, to maintenance is you are filling up the gas tank of your body, right? So when you're dieting, whether you're doing low carb or moderate carb and you're at a calorie deficit, you're going to be running a little bit low on muscle glycogen, which is the carbohydrate stores in your muscles. And your muscles are going to be running a little bit low on water, right? They're just not holding as much water because they don't have as much carbohydrate. So you're probably going to see a couple pound uptick on the scale. And that's literally just, it's like, it's like if you were to go and weigh your car and then fill it up with gasoline, your car's going to weigh more after the gasoline, but you really haven't changed the actual like content or structure of your actual car. You've just filled up the gas tank. <clears throat> now, on the other side, if you choose to go back to maintenance more slowly, like let's say you add 50 or 100 calories a week for four, five, six, seven weeks, um, all the above things will happen, right? Your energy will come back. Your sleep will come back. 
Um, you'll start to look a little more full. Your hormones will come back to normal. It'll just take a little bit longer. And then your likelihood of overshooting maintenance and maybe gaining a pound or two while you're doing it is probably going to be lower because um, you'll be able to kind of course correct as you go. Now, the only thing I'll say about this is a lot of times when people, let's say they add 100, 100 calories in a week, um, they start consuming a few more carbohydrates and they see their body weight tick up a half a pound, they might freak out and then just not really finish going back to maintenance, which can become a problem. So really, kind of the first step of maintenance is deciding which path you want to take. Um, and that really comes down to kind of who you are, what your goals are, um, what your tolerance for seeing some fluctuations on the scale is, how aggressive your diet was, um, how much weight you lost, all those sorts of things. Generally, my rule of thumb is the more aggressive a diet was, <clears throat> the longer it was and the more weight you lost, I'd like to see you get back to maintenance much faster. Now, if you've kind of been a little more gradual with your diet, you haven't lost as much weight, it hasn't been, hasn't been as aggressive, slowly getting back to maintenance is probably okay. Now, some people might do the opposite approach where the more aggressive it is, the more slowly you come back. Um, and that's also fine. There, there's really no detriment to doing it that way either. I've just found from my personal experience working with people is when you have more aggressive approaches, the faster you can get those people back to normal, just psychologically, the better it is. Um, if you're an athlete, if you've been like cutting for a competition or something like that, or if you just are an athlete and you've lost some weight, trying to get back to maintenance as fast as possible makes more sense because your likelihood of injury will drop, um, you know, things like that. And it really comes down to context, but realize each approach can work. So tomorrow I'm going to cover maintenance a little bit more. We'll talk a little bit about how do you prevent any weight gain um, during the maintenance period. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the strategies that you can have. But I think the first point of maintenance is to really decide how quickly are you going to return your calorie deficit back to normal so you're not in a dieting cycle. Stay tuned for more on this topic tomorrow. All right, today's business insight is the insolvable business problem or the insolvable problem in a business. And there's probably more than one, but this is just the one I'm thinking about uh, this week. So one of the things that we really believe in kind of in, in our company and our company culture is we want to try to make the work environment as enjoyable as possible for everybody involved. So if you think about the nature of the work that we do is one, people choose to get into this line of work because they're very passionate about their work. Um, you know, other forms of work and career, I think a lot of times people use them as a utility. I think one of the interesting things about our industry is most people end up working in it because they just have a passion for what they do. Um, and that's one piece. And the other piece is if you think about your job, like as a nutrition coach or an online personal trainer, things like that is the job can be pretty difficult at times because um, you're working with a lot of people. There's a lot of emotion involved in it. There's a lot of just, um, it, it can just be a very heavy job at times. Right. And it means, and I don't mean heavy in a bad way. It's just, it, it requires a lot of like empathy and connecting with people. And so one of the things that we try to do at Macros Inc. is try to build a company culture and a kind of a, a job environment 
that really allows people to love and enjoy their work. Um, so one of the things that we do is we do a lot of, you know, surveys, assessments of employees, um, and we try to figure out like, hey, what's working in the company? What's not working and how can we improve? And one of the things that's always interesting when I get these things back is everybody's so different and unique and everybody has different needs. And when you start to grow and become a certain size and you have to like institute policies and things like that is you're not going to solve every single problem for every single employee and you're not going to be perfect down the line. And so one, like for an example, one of the things that we, we talk about quite a bit is you know, trying to make sure we communicate as much as we can with our employees and, and having optimal communication. Um, and you know, some people, their, their just disposition is like, hey, I don't really need to know everything. I just need to know what's important to me. So don't share everything about the company. Um, and other people, like, they want to know everything that's going on. So they want to know all the meeting agendas, all of the, like, corporate statistics. They want to know when every project is kicking off. And you kind of have people along the full spectrum. And no matter what approach you take, you're never going to hit an exact chord with, with everybody. Um, so one of the things that, you know, is kind of this insolvable problem is you're never going to be perfect for every employee you have. But how do you make sure that everybody feels like their voice is heard, um, that they know that they're valuable, and that you're trying to work towards finding an optimal way for them to exist um, and work within your company. And so that's kind of this idea of the insolvable problem of there's just aspects where you're never going to get it perfect. Um, and you have to be okay with that as long as you make sure that everybody feels heard and that you try to find solutions for, for each person. All right, what am I learning today? Uh, We're going to unveil a little bit more about this probably in the coming weeks, but one of the things that we're working on internally at Macros, Inc. um, is some employee development programs. And as kind of the the senior leadership, all all the resources that we're putting together for things like this, um, we're currently actually going through to make sure, kind of review the courses and everything that we're building and, and things like that. But... One of the things that I spent some time working on yesterday, so my what am I learning today section is really what did I learn yesterday and then what am I thinking about today, is theories of communication. And so I, I'm taking this uh, this online course regarding this. And what's really interesting is, like, we all communicate all day, every day. Like, you're on the phone talking to people. You're texting to people. You are uh, on social media. You're emailing like unless your head's down in a problem that you're working on um, that doesn't require any outside input, which for a lot of us are in our work that's very rare, is all you're doing is communicating all day, every day. And I was taking this class, and this guy was kind of talking through these different theories of communication, like the social construction theory of communication, the transmission theory of communication, and all these different ways that we view communication. Um, and it really got me thinking, this coupled with the fact that I watched the movie uh, Arrival a couple weekends ago, is we all have different views of what communication is. And it, I think it differs based on like our environment, our culture, 
our language, the medium in which we're communicating, all different sorts of things. And so it was just very interesting to me to kind of learn about all sorts of different things. Um, And what I found really interesting is when I look at myself is there's certain aspects of my life where I view communication as like just strictly like transmission, right? Of like information going down the line and it's a pure utility of getting an idea across. And then there's other aspects of it where it's very much this kind of idea of like social construction of communication, right? Where you construct everything around you based on the communication you have. And what's interesting is, like, if I just reflect on maybe the last couple months of communications I've had with people is a lot of times the the struggles or the disconnects or things like that has really been a lack of understanding the modes of communication and the, like, the cognitive theory around how you're communicating. Um, and so a lot of times, like, you'll send somebody a text message and all you're thinking in your head is, like, from this transmission idea of communication. Like you're just trying to get from point A to point B with an idea. And they're probably thinking about the communication in a completely different field. Maybe when you're on the phone, you view that as this like a, a social thing and they're viewing it just as transmission of ideas. And so it's kind of this, just take a look and see like what is going on with your communication and, and how are things differing based on, you know, the way you are operationalizing some theory of communication at that point. So that's what I'm learning today. All right. My daily win is my new desk is finally here. It arrived from uh, way overseas in Turkey. It came from Turkey, not the deli, meet the country, uh, on Monday? And I finally got it put together. So I'm in my new, my newish home office. Basically, I took out my desk and my other furniture and put my new desk in. This thing's pretty sweet. It's like a live edge wood desk with metal legs. And I have now a Star Wars rug in my office, which is pretty awesome. I'll probably post some pictures in the Facebook group. So if you want to see how uh, ridiculously nerdy my home office is, it uh, will be on macrosinc.net slash free group. I'm hopefully going to get some bookshelves built in here in the next couple weeks and a cool accent wall so that's my daily win is my home office is getting a makeover after spending literally probably 70 hours a week maybe 80 hours a week of in 2020 just in my home office uh it was time for me to like actually get like a nice desk and all that stuff so that was pretty cool so that's the daily win now the daily learning lesson this kind of goes this dovetails a little bit with the what am i learning today and it kind of stems from this article uh that i read and it was called, I'm actually going to pull it up. It's called Askers versus Guessers. And it was published in the Atlantic in 2010. And I just kind of want to read to you the opening paragraph um, or two, because it's a super interesting idea. And I never thought about it this way. Um, and it really kind of changed my perspective on a lot of communications I've had with people. So here we go. Askers versus Guessers. Alex Eichler, May 12, 2010, The Atlantic. Let's say your husband or wife has a friend who will be coming to your city for two weeks on business. This friend writes you and your spouse asking if you can put him up while he's in town. Has this person committed a gross violation of etiquette? Whether you answer yes or no may speak to whether you're an asker or a guesser. The two personality types described in a three-year-old web comment that has lately taken on a second life as a full-on blog meme. 
On January 16th, 2007, Andrea Donnerty responded to an Ask Meta filter post that dealt with a house guest-related situation like the one described above. Donnerty's take on the situation is as elegant as it is provocative. Basically, she says there's two types of people in this world. In quotes, this is a classic case of ass culture meets guest culture. In some families, you grow up with the expectation that it's okay to ask for anything at all. But you have to realize you might get no for an answer. This is ask culture. In guest culture, you avoid putting a request in a request into words unless you're pretty sure the answer will be yes. Guest culture depends on a tight knit of shared expectations. A key skill is putting out delicate feelers. If you do this with enough subtlety, you won't even have to make the request directly. You'll get an offer. Even then, the offer may be genuine or pro forma. It takes yet more skill and delicacy to discern whether you should accept. So this is this idea of like, Askers versus guessers, right? Some people are wired, born, raised, you know, whatever the idea is, and I don't know what the answer is. I mean, it may be cultural, maybe a lot of things. Some people are just askers, right? They ask for what what they want, and they think, and they they think it's okay to ask for anything. And then on the other side is you have guessers who never really ask for anything. They just try to read a situation and decide, like, what are people willing to give you before you ask? And what's interesting to me is, by nature, um, I am a guesser, like, all the way through and through. I very rarely ask for anything. Um, I, I will guess my way all the way until somebody says, oh, here you go. Um, and other people are askers. And what's interesting is I have a lot of people in my life who are probably askers. And a lot of times I get frustrated with that because I just don't understand it. And it's not because they're wrong or I'm right. It's just two very different ways of operating in the world. I think there's a lot of aspects in my life um, where I would benefit and my life would probably be much easier if I just followed the... Uh, the asking culture approach. So very interesting. I thought this was kind of a, a cool thing um, to learn about, and I think it's probably going to help me understand a lot of interactions with people and uh, just having a better perspective when I have just completely different social ways of going about doing things. So that's it. That's the episode. I'm Dr. Brad. I'm out of here. I will see you guys tomorrow. Tomorrow.